I'm Brittany Gallagher, reporting to you on Digital Culture for Digital Village. We've been talking about 3D printing organs for a while, but it turns out not all organs are created equal. Things like an ear are much easier to print, but capillaries are really small. They form a network throughout the body for the exchange of oxygen, metabolic waste products, and carbon dioxide between blood and tissue cells. And when things are that small, you have to start thinking about microfluidics, which deals with the behavior and the precise control and manipulation of fluids that are geometrically constrained to be really, really small. Figuring out how to print these capillaries is one of the major roadblocks to 3D printing more complicated organs like a kidney, a liver, or a heart. Dr. Melanie Matthew, CEO and founder of Prelis Biologics, and her team have figured out how to print those capillary structures using lasers. I spoke with Melanie about how they're able to use lasers to print these capillaries, the timeline for this, but first we start with that eureka moment and what led her to start thinking about these problems. So I have always been deeply interested in the natural world and science and systems biology is what I would call it now. Looking back on it as a kid, I was just interested really in how things work. And um, that led me to a career in science where I mostly studied the immune system and how cells moved and interacted with each other, the communication networks that make up an immune response when you get a cold or, or you fall and bump your knee and there's some sort of inflammation there. You know, what's really going on at the cellular level? And so I spent about 15 years in academia studying those cell-cell interactions and looking at those pathways. And um, one night when I was driving home from the lab, uh, one of those late experimental nights, I was listening to a podcast, and it was about human tissue engineering. And this is a little outside of my field, but I thought it was interesting. So I was listening to the podcast, and there was a question for this cardiac surgeon. And the host said, okay, this is great. We have ears and noses and all these things that we're 3D printing. How long till we get a human heart? You know, something that's really going to save someone's life. And there was this long pause, and the cardiac surgeon said, maybe 20 years or so. And the host said, oh, okay, that's pretty far off. Why? And he said, because we can't build these tiny vascular structures called capillaries. And without capillaries, you cannot get oxygen distributed through the tissues efficiently, and you can't ferry away the waste, the CO2 and the metabolic byproducts of metabolism. You can't remove those efficiently without capillaries. And so I was driving home from an experiment where I had just been imaging tissue, real living cells and tissue, looking at immune response. And I thought, well, I was imaging capillaries and I was imaging cells. I've got this super high power laser microscope to do this. If I can see it, why can't I build it? And so that question really stuck with me for probably about a year and a half where I was kind of marinating on it and the science behind it and the physics of how we might do this. And when I worked it out on paper and I thought, okay, this is it, this would work. Um, that's when I founded Prelis Biologics um, because I realized what we could do is we could rebuild human tissue from scratch at a super high resolution and at a really fast speed in a way no one had ever done before. What's the origin of the name Prelis Biologics? Prelis stands for a printed trellis. And so what we're really building is the structure that cells live on. And so there's this extracellular matrix that actually makes up most of our tissues and the walls of the capillaries and the veins. And so that's what we can print. And then we can add cells to it, or we could actually put the structure in place with cells present. 
so that they're kind of locked in place. How does all this work from the trellis up? The resolution is really important when you look at the human tissue. It's about a half micron resolution. And so that's really, really tiny. It's like a hundredth of a human hair. And so that's really small. And that's what you need to actually get the cells and the capillaries in the right places and working together. So that can be achieved with a single pinpoint of a laser that is moved back and forth. If you imagine you have a laser pointer and you you shine it on something that's going to polymerize with laser light and you, you raster scan it back and forth really, really fast, you can lay down a pattern. However, that's still too slow to build a large tissue. And so what we've done is we've taken that same pinpoint of a laser and we expand it in three dimensions. And so we do first uh, an expansion in the XY, so we have like a column of light rather than a pinpoint. And then we bounce it off a really complex set of mirrors. Well, phase modulation is what we do, but spatial light modulators, that's what we use. And what that does is it patterns the laser so that it's concentrated in a three-dimensional output. And so you have a wavefront that is lower down in the system, one that's higher up where the light is concentrated. And that is how we create a hologram. And so it's easy to think of as kind of one of the holograms you'd see in like an early Star Wars movie or, or Star Trek. The edges of those holograms are where the light is concentrated. And so that's what we do. We have a structure where we know where the edges are and we concentrate the light there in three dimensions. And once that structure is projected into a media bath, wherever that light is concentrated, we have a polymerization reaction, kind of like, I guess there's like UV curing of plastics or something like that. It can be thought of as the same type of reaction. And so with that, we can build the entire building blocks at the same pinpoint resolution that you had the original laser in all at once. And so we scale our speeds in three dimensions, and that makes it feasible to actually start building real organs and tissues with this process. So is this part of the trellis then? Yeah, so that's how we're building the trellis. So we're printing the trellis in three dimensions. And then you just introduce the cells on top of that, like after that? Right, yeah. So that's the easiest way to go about it, is you take a structure we've already printed, have flow through it, and then add cells on top. And cells are actually, we should give them more credit. They do a really good job of settling down in three dimensions and interacting with each other and forming structures. That's really what a cell is supposed to do in our body. So if you give them the right structure, they reseed it and start functioning, actually. So it's pretty magical (laughs) when you think about three-dimensional tissue biology. What type of cells? Do you need stem cells? Should everyone be going and like banking their stem cells for this? Or <laughs> Stem cells are great. I think actually, I mean, my, my opinion is it's, it's great to bank your stem cells if you, if you want to rely on the future of that technology. I think, I think that's a great idea. I think more and more we'll be having therapies come online where those stem cells will be useful, whether it's a cancer treatment or regenerative medicine. Absolutely. As it stands now, most people who need an organ transplant, the majority of them are under 65. And I believe you can still get good stem cells from someone who's a little older in life. And so, yes, there's still ways to get good stem cell samples from someone, even if you haven't thanked yourselves. How would this work Mm -hmm. in the long term? Because I know this is you're still in the early phases of this. So there are a lot of a lot of different ways it could work. So if we're we're talking about something like skin or keratinocytes, we could probably use a cell that's already pretty well differentiated. It just likes to divide a lot, and all we need to do is multiply it across the structure. 
if we're using a cell where it's necessary to have different developmental states present in the organ, we might want to start with a stem cell or something that's not as well differentiated. And so our tissues actually have a lot of stem cells in them. And so the idea there would either be to do a biopsy or to collect from the blood and we could probably grow out the number of stem cells we would need to build an organ from that. What are some of the organs you're looking at first? So we have done some test structures in numerous organs, which has been really exciting. We've built vascular beds, we've built alveolar structures for the lungs, and we have built a kidney nephron. And so my heart really lies with the kidney. I think that it has the greatest need in terms of number of patients. And there aren't very many good therapeutics that will treat kidney disease. It's once you're on dialysis, it's kind of a path to nowhere. You need a donation or kind of suffer for quite a while. And so we are, we're working on building a kidney nephron. And from there, what we plan to do is build out an entire kidney lobe that we can eventually combine with other lobes and build a full human kidney. And so for us at this point, it's really an engineering problem. Can we get enough nephrons packed close together and the circulation through them? And so that's the stage our lab is in right now. We're building human nephrons, which has never been done before. And now we're working out all of the new engineering challenges that come with that. So it's, it's been a really, really exciting year for us. So what are some examples of the challenges other than fitting them all in the same space? Because we're using microfluidics for the most part, most microfluidic studies, when you look at the research that's out there, are done in kind of hard plastics or semi-hard plastics. There's a compound called PDMS that people do a lot of negative resist printing in. So they, they put the structure down over a tube, they pull the tube out, and then they have their little channel that they can run things through. So we're doing the opposite. We're actually building the channel out of the soft material that is bioresorbable, that we can coat with cells. And... It's so funny because it's really just, it's like a mechanics problem. It's We have to hook this little soft, rubbery, tiny hose up to a perfusion system. And so just making sure that little, we don't have a little leak there has actually been one of the most challenging things in our hands. So it's funny, we can build a whole nephron, we know we get flow through it. It's just getting that seal at a micron level scale has been a little difficult. Was a person doing that? Yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> so it's someone like looking at it through a microscope yeah. and trying to do that. Yep, exactly, through a microscope. It's not that we can't get a, a syringe in there. It's just about sealing the, that coupling off. And so no one's had to do anything at that scale with a soft material before. So we're kind of breaking new ground there in terms of just plain old engineering. What's your timeline like? Like when you look at anything in, in biotech and in biology generally has a long runway. Are you hoping to shorten that time that you heard from 20 years to 10 years? Like, what are you thinking? Yeah, absolutely. I think if we don't have a kidney in someone in the next 20 years and we've done something really wrong, I think we're really on the horizon of, of getting real organ tissue replacement solved. So, um, yeah, I would love to have full-scale clinical trials going within the next 10 years. How long does it take to make a kidney? So our current system could print a kidney. It would just take probably about six months to a year. So that's not a good cycle to test and retry things on. So the next system build we have uh, planned will take us down to 24 hours or under 24 wow. hours of your system of a kidney. Wow, that's really fast. 
Yeah. Very strong improvement compared yep. to six months, a day compared to six months. Well, the, the raster scan technology, it would take, I think, over a couple hundred years to build a kidney at the same resolution. So scaling in 3D is, is really powerful when it comes to, to speed. How did you come up with thinking about, because this seems like a lot of physics. It is a lot of physics, yep. <laughs> and less biology. Like, it's really cool to think about it using lasers. I mean, it's like that with lasers. Like, I feel like a lot of technology is going yeah. back to using lasers. How did you How did you come to that? So, um, luckily, I've always been one of those scientists who's never shied away from a different field. So, even though I was a physiologist by training, I always loved physics, and I was always paying attention, and I was pretty close to double majoring in chemistry as an undergrad. And so when I was working on imaging cells, uh, the lab I trained in for my PhD had hand-built the first video rate two-photon microscope. And that sounds pretty complicated, but it's you know a similar process to what we use. It's all lasers. And so because it was this hand-built, not off-the-shelf system, it wasn't turnkey at all, I had to physically learn what it was like to work on an optics table, to know when a laser was misaligned, and to understand um, down to the nitty-gritty what the details of the physics were so that I could actually run my biology experiments. (laughs) So I got training in the background along with my, my biophysics PhD, my physiology biophysics PhD, around what it was like to work with free space optics and the physics behind that. And so that actually set me up really well for for thinking about this problem because I I understood not only the the physiology and the biology of the problem, but how the optical engineering could play a role in solving it. So my advice to anyone doing any kind of science research is don't be afraid to talk to the engineers. They're great. Yeah. (laughs) And and learn everything you can around the subject. Yeah, you might just start a 3D printing organ company. Yeah, it's like the hyper specificity is can be a problem sometimes. You've got to expose yourself to other things and that you might find <laughs> you found your eureka moment. Right. The the kind of the cross-pollination of different fields I think is really really fertile ground for development of new ideas and technologies. I think our company is really I I love our mission and our vision. You know, we are we're really out to change the shape of human medicine and healthcare. Having human tissues from a stem cell source or whatnot to do therapeutic screening on, to do organ replacement with, that will change um, health and medicine for everyone because right now the animal testing studies don't replicate the toxicology or the physiology that is seen in humans. So most drugs fail in a phase one clinical trial. Mm -hmm. And that's millions, if not billions of dollars lost every time that happens. A lot of R&D time. And so if we can get better drugs to market faster to help people, as well as replace organs when people really don't have another option, you know, I think we'll all be living longer, healthier lives. And so that's that's really the vision of our company is to, to help that along. We have this just amazing team of dedicated, brilliant scientists, and each of us come from a different field, chemistry, optical engineering, um, my PhD is in physiology and biophysics, and we're really working together to build meaningful solutions in both healthcare, medicine, and um, and R&D. So um, we, we see that as being um, on-demand human tissues and tissue and organ replacement for people who need it.
My guest this week was Dr. Melanie Matthew, CEO and founder of Prelis Biologics, who are working to help bring us closer to the 3D printed organ revolution. That's it for this week's edition of Digital Culture. I'm Brittany Gallagher. You can find out more on our website at digitalculture.la or follow me on Twitter at In a Quantum World. Right